It's a reading from the Gospel according to Luke. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and considered in her mind what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I have no husband? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your kinswoman Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God nothing will be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In our relationship with God, there have oftentimes been many different diagrams or many different explanations to explain sort of the progression or the growth in holiness. And for me, I like to try to make things very simple. It seems to me that primarily there are two essential phases or two attitudes or two dispositions that we are constantly struggling with. And probably for most of our life, we'll sort of go back and forth with. And so I like to use the analogy of driving in a car with Jesus. So in this first stage, we are driving and Jesus is in the passenger seat. We love his company. We're glad that he is there. We might have even have to have kicked someone out of that seat so Jesus could, get, so Jesus could be there. And we're very attentive to his advice when he tells us to slow down, when he tells us to turn, when he tells us to speed up. And so we're very aware of his presence. And it's consoling on every level, emotionally, psychologically, and spiritually. Everything feels good, and everything seems right. However, there is an important truth 
that needs to be mentioned. We are still driving. Yes, we are aware of Jesus. We are inspired by his presence. We listen to him. But our hands are still on the wheel. And there comes a time, and only God knows when, and it's going to be different for each one of us. In the course of our driving, Jesus will ask us to pull over on the side of the road. And there on the side of the road, he will ask us a very important question. Will you let me drive? And at first, we hesitate. And the question catches us off guard. But because we love him, we say, well, of course, Jesus, you can drive. And so we get out of this, the, the seat and switch seats. Jesus gets behind the wheel. And the first thing he does is he does not put on his seatbelt. And very shortly, we realize how quickly or how differently Jesus drives. He doesn't seem to obey all the traffic laws. He drives off-road at times. At times, he seems like he's falling asleep at the wheel. It's actually kind of like a CFR, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. And so very quickly, we become afraid and terribly insecure. And so we ask Jesus to pull over. And we take back our yes. And we say, Jesus, I'm not ready for you to drive yet. This little story and analogy is what relationship with God looks like for most of us, much of the time. It is a tension between struggle, between surrender, and control. Between saying yes and no. It is a struggle between faith and doubt. Between confidence and fear. Our salvation begins because somebody gave God the keys and never asked for them back. In other words, somebody said yes to God 
and never changed their mind. They never doubted. They never despaired. And they never tried to control. Even when he seemed to be driving off-road or falling asleep. And that someone, of course, is Mary. Since almost the beginning of time, already in Genesis chapter 3, humanity has oftentimes and continues often to say no to God. Some people do it very deliberately. For most of us, it might not be a no directly and emphatically. You know, I don't wake up in the morning and I'm not like, no. I wake up in the morning and I do the complete opposite. I say a morning offering, renew my consecration to Mary, and then five minutes later I got to do it again. But in our attempts to say yes to God, we have to struggle with our own weakness, our own laziness, our own selfishness, and just our overall confused humanity. But one thing is for sure, there is very rarely an unconditional, an unequivocal yes given to God from his creatures. With the exception of one. Mary's entire life is an unconditional and unequivocal yes to God. This yes to God will serve as a thread throughout her entire life, which we will see in each one of these talks. But it begins here at the Annunciation. One of my favorite titles for Our Lady, and what I think is one of the oldest, is Mary as the New Eve. What a beautiful title. Why is Mary called the New Eve? Simply because of her yes. Where Adam and Eve said no to God, which is them basically saying, I will drive. I will determine where I go and how I get there. Mary says, 
Let it be done to me according to your word. Mary's yes reverses the no of Adam and Eve. Every time we say the Hail Mary, we're calling to mind that yes that changed the course of history. Already in the second century, St. Irenaeus said that the knot of Eve's, of Eve's disobedience was untied by Mary's obedience. And that with the virgin Eve bound through her disbelief, Mary loosened by her faith. And St. Jerome sums all of that up so succinctly when he says, death through Eve, life through Mary. Through Mary's yes, God continues the work of salvation. Which is another way of saying that God is continuing to reveal his love for us. And this time it will be revealed in the most profound way, a way that we could never even begin to imagine or comprehend fully through the Incarnation. There are at least a thousand reasons why we should love Mary. But if somebody said to me, give me one reason why I should love Mary, the answer is very simple. She gives us Jesus. Through her, yes, the one who St. Paul says will reconcile to himself all things begins to take flesh in Mary. The great mystery, the great plan of God begins, takes flesh because somebody trusts God enough because somebody believes and loves him unlike any other. What does Mary's yes consist of? It is essentially a yes to the Holy Trinity. It is a yes to the will of the Father. It is a yes to receiving the Son. And it is a yes to the action of the Holy Spirit. This is simply a theological way of saying that Mary's yes is perfect.
One of the votive masses that we can say for Our Lady is called Holy Mary, the New Eve. I was actually hoping to do it tomorrow, but we can't because of St. Teresa Benedicta. But anyway, in that Mass, the closing prayer, we say, we pray for this in the closing prayer of that Mass. We pray, Lord our God, in the Blessed Virgin Mary, you formed a new heart for the second Eve. Grant that by the grace of this sacrament, we may be obedient to the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and grow more and more each day in the likeness of Christ, the second Adam. What are we asking for in that prayer? We're asking that Mary's yes becomes our own. That we, like her, can become obedient to the will of the Father, which consists in receiving Jesus so as to be molded more and more in His likeness. And for that to occur, we have to say yes to the action of the Holy Spirit. So even in Mary's yes, we can see what is essentially our vocation. And this is only the beginning of what Mary's yes contains. And so with all of this in mind, let's reflect upon the work of salvation in your life and mine. St. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we preached among you, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. Jesus, the new Adam, is a yes. Mary, the new Eve, is a yes. What are we right now in our life? What are we in our actions? in our thoughts, in our prayer, in our desires? Are we a yes? Are we a no? Or are we a I don't know? It's probably most of us. Certainly myself. But do you know what's interesting about God's will? Or just about God in general? He usually doesn't ask us for our advice. 
or for our opinion, really. Nor should he. God doesn't come to Our Lady and say to her, you know, Mary, I'm considering doing this thing. But before I do it, I just wanted to know what you think about this. God is not interested in opinion polls. But rather, when the angel Gabriel comes to Mary, what does he say? He says, you will conceive in your womb, and you shall call his name Jesus. In other words, the angel Gabriel is presenting God's will to Mary, then asking her to say yes to him. Not to say yes to her manipulation of what's being presented. Not saying yes to well, her version of God's will. But her saying yes to what God's will actually is. St. Bernard, you might recall this in... Um, I think it's for December 20th, I think, in the Office of Readings. He's reflecting upon uh, the Annunciation, and he writes this sort of, I don't know what you would call it, it's almost like a poetic dialogue with Mary. And in this dialogue, this is what he says. So he's speaking to Mary. He says, the price of our salvation is offered to you. We will be set free at once if you consent. In your brief response, we are to be remade in order to be recalled to life. Tearful Adam, with his sorrowing family, begs this of you, O loving virgin. Abraham begs it, David begs it, and all the other holy patriarchs, your ancestors, ask it of you. This is what the whole world waits for. Prostrate at your feet. On your word depends salvation for all the sons of Adam, the whole of our race. What is St. Bernard reminding Mary of and us? It's that God's will is always bigger than just us. It doesn't just include us, but literally it has worldwide applications. Obviously this is true for Mary in a very unique way. But it's also true for us. Think about all of the people God's will for you has affected. Your family, your friends, one another, people you minister to, people who see you on the street who you'll never talk to, people who when you walk through an airport look at you like you're some crazy person the way you're dressed. God's will for you and for me, it's not just about us. 
So of course God is not going to seek our advice or our opinion when it comes to his will, to salvation. But you know, to modern people, that can sound a bit uh, insensitive. It can almost sound rude. Right? Some people say that this makes God appear like a, like a dictator or some sort of uh, ruthless judge. So why is God like this? He's like this, I believe, because inside of God's will, inside God's plan of salvation, there is so much beauty. There is so much love. And it is so profound. We can't even begin to fathom. We have no clue of the profundity of God's will in our life. If you gathered the hundred most intelligent people in the world and had them construct a plan for your life, you told them all your talents, all your dreams, all your desires, all the things you want to do, what they would come up with would not even be close, both in beauty and in depth, to God's will for our life. God's will in our life is the perfect life. Now, even when I say that, there's a part of me interiorly that's almost like, ah, but it's difficult. <laughs> what about this? Or what about that? You know, everybody wants the perfect life. Right? This is what the world of advertising is about. They try to sell an image of the perfect life, which of course doesn't exist. But usually what they are referring to is a life of ease, a life of pleasure, a life of comfort, a life where I'm driving. The perfect life has already been given to us in God's will. Is it difficult? It's the most difficult thing I've ever experienced and continue to experience. That doesn't mean it's not true or it's not beautiful. But only if we had Mary's eyes to see and her ears to hear. What Our Lady is teaching us is that our life is so much more beautiful, so much more profound when we allow it to be navigated by God's will. In other words, when we are saying yes to God. It doesn't matter how much you wrestle 
how much you struggle. That's totally normal. But ultimately what matters is that eventually we get to a point, a point where we can say yes. When we say yes to God, this is how real change, real transformation occurs. Now you could spend all day in, cha- in the chapel in Eucharistic adoration, but if you're not saying yes to God, as best as we can, of course, but if we're not at least attempting to say yes to God's will, we're wasting our time in chapel. A yes to God opens our hearts, our minds, and our whole being to the presence of God in a way that nothing else can. Again, you can read all of the theological and spiritual books you want, but if we're not saying yes, what are we doing? Because of Mary's continual yes and her life to God, she will possess a deeper and more intimate knowledge and experience of God than any theologian, any saint, or any person in human history. Nobody knows God like Mary. Could she have been like this if she said no? No, she couldn't. Her yes opens her heart and her mind to the beauty and to the mystery of God. And the same is true for us. Carol Hauslander says that in surrendering to the Spirit, Mary wed God to the human race and made the whole world pregnant with the life of Christ. Again, obviously, certainly Mary's yes is unique. But when we say yes to God and surrender to the Spirit as best as we can, we too will give birth to Christ in the world. Look at your vocations. Look at the people you minister to. The people in your community. The people who you share life with. Your brothers and your sisters need your yes. I need your yes. And you need my yes. Because your yes makes Christ present and visible. And don't we all need that? The absolute best thing you can do for each other is say yes to God as best as you can. So what would Mary's 
advice be to us? Well, imagine for a moment if Mary was your spiritual director. I know, that's pretty good. It's <laughs> how I live my life. But imagine if you're sitting with Our Lady in the context of spiritual direction. This is the way I imagine it for myself. I would be sitting with her, expressing my fears, my desires, my hopes, my wounds, my weaknesses. And I imagine her listening very attentively and with deep compassion in her eyes. And then when I'm finished, we sit there for a while together in silence. And then she looks at me right in the eyes. She says, my son, God is trustworthy. Don't be afraid to say yes to him. Don't wait for consolation. Don't wait for understanding. Don't wait for everyone to agree with you because that will never happen. Don't wait until everything in your life is perfect because it never will be. Say yes to him today and then tomorrow and then again next week because he is trustworthy and he is faithful. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.